0: Good morning. It's good to be with you again. We made it through another night, which is always a challenge for uh, having the amount of kids we have. You never know what the night is going to bring. Bloody noses, fights, falling out of the bed. We have a little of all of it. I think we had some last night. But y'all pray a special prayer for Sarah because she had to put up with us. Um, and I appreciate their kindness and hospitality it's always great to uh, to do gospel meetings because I get to go out and see that there are other people in the world that are trying hard to please God and sometimes whether it's at work or things you just feel like man does anybody care about spiritual things and then you come out here and you find people like encouraging and young people encouraging and um, it's just been great for me to be here and so I hope in some small way I can help you get closer to God, keep first things first, and uh, encourage you on your walk as you try to please God in all things. You know, the series I've been talking about um, this weekend is things that I've learned from preaching, and I'll say this as we begin. I underestimated how much of preaching or being a minister is about people, um, you know, you just kind of see the the preacher get up there and give a lesson or two, and you think, you know, the bulk of the work is kind of done in studying and presenting for a lesson. But far and away, most time is spent with people. Now, it's not that it's not a a focus to teach the word, but the word has to go and get planted in the hearts of hearers. And sometimes that involves like personal correction, or you know, you're on the phone encouraging the weak, or um, anything in between. And so I was woefully unprepared for the amount of time I was going to spend with and around people. You know, because people asked me to preach because I heard a couple lessons. But then, man, when you get in the lives of people, especially as a 25 year old guy, when I started preaching, um, it, it was crazy. And let me tell you what was crazy about it. I'll just give you an example. So I, I go over to a guy's house, he and his wife, they have a young daughter. And they're having us over for dinner, which is great. I mean it's like one of the perks of being a preacher, I'll tell you that. We're like, why don't you come over for dinner? I'm like, sure, yeah, that just sounds like a good idea. So I go over there for dinner and afterward they're like, hey, why don't we go on a walk around the neighborhood? Oh, well, sure, it's nice, beautiful day. So we go out of their nice house, you know, and um he was a nice guy she's a nice lady so we go walking down the road and Anna kind of pairs off with his wife and they're walking up ahead and I'm walking back there with him and we're just talking and he says hey I'm gonna let you know that um she and I are gonna we're we're getting a divorce well I mean what do you say in that moment now I'd been married you know about all of a year and so I just told him, you know, like, I totally understand. You know, this is very difficult. Um, no, I mean, I you, you don't know what to say. Like, you're, you're just surprised and shocked to hear those words come out of somebody's mouth. I mean, my parents have been married over 50 years. Like, divorce is wrong. I mean, it's taught over and over again from the pulpit. I mean, there's no there's no good reason to divorce in general. I mean, outside of the... Uh, sexual immorality that jesus gives us but even that is still full of heartache and sadness for whatever's gone on in a marriage and so here he just comes and drops this on my doorstep Uh, wow is this really what's happening and i'll tell you for the majority of the time that i've been preaching i mean the number one i told some of the ladies last night the number one thing that people ask for help or advice on is related to their marriage Far and away, now you might think people would have a hundred other problems or 50 things that they'd want to talk about, but far and away, the number one thing I deal with people on is them being completely miserable. And you would never know it to look at the house. You would never know it to look at the relationship. Um, When people, you know, roll out of bed and come to church on Sunday, like we are on our best behavior, but there are people that will sit and talk to us and say, we are absolutely miserable. How does that happen? It does. I could read you a text of a guy that I married last year. I showed Anna the the other day. I was like, here, read this. And they had recently gotten COVID. We had followed up on them. And he was like, yeah, you know, we're doing good. Hey, do you um, by chance do any of that marriage counseling? We're going through a couple rough spots. And we wanted to sit down and talk to somebody. I mean, we're six months in here. So if we're not honest about ourselves and open about what's really going on in our relationships, you will just have a lifetime of complete misery. And that's what a lot of people are living through. And if that is you this morning, um, I don't say that is any kind of indictment. I'm not trying to make you feel bad because you already feel bad. What I want you to do is find some help. Because from God's perspective, right when when God says he who finds uh, a wife finds a good thing, and obtains favor from the Lord, I mean, this is exactly true. I mean, this is 100% true. When God said that everything you made was good, except it wasn't good that man should be alone, so He made somebody for him, God wasn't trying to wreck your life. Like, God was trying to help you, and make things better for you. And the same is true for a wife. I mean, a husband completes his wife, a wife completes her husband, And when I look at my life, no way I'm succeeding at anything unless I've got my wife's help. But that is not always the case. And that will not be the case for my relationship with Anna if things aren't handled appropriately. You know, nobody is immune from this. And whether it's people that preach, and I'm sure Greg could acknowledge this too, preacher's marriages fall apart. Um, And the same things can beset us all. And I just want to encourage you in this lesson to listen to some of the things that I've learned firsthand that the Scriptures try to tell us about. And, and I will say this, there is no relationship that I have seen that is beyond saving. I mean, that's the good news, right? God always gives us the path forward. God always gives us the key to fixing whatever problem is there. And sometimes it seems insurmountable because you've been trying to dig a hole for yourself for 30 years. And you want to talk about heartache, you know, I can sit down easily with somebody that's been married for a year and work through some marriage problems because they don't know better. But when you talk to somebody that's 40 years older than you about their broken marriage, like it's real intimidating. And some of this stuff has been a long time coming and it's going to take a little bit of time to get over, but there is nothing with God's help that is impossible. And you got to believe that. And it may seem impossible, but I have seen really bad people change and become really good people thanks to God, Jesus, and the gospel. And if you lose that hope, some people are just ready to give up, like, I don't want to sit down and have a conversation about it. Um, you're missing out on the opportunity for God to give the increase. Like, let's do our part and, and let God help. So, um, as we jump into the lesson, I, I'll just, well, let me say this. I know it's like a young people's thing, and we've got the young people up here. You don't have a clue what I'm talking about, but hopefully you can appreciate one thing. You do not want to make a misstep in who you choose to spend your life with. Like outside of your decision to become a Christian, I mean, I would challenge you, there's no more pivotal decision than who is literally going to spend every day of their lives with you. It is not something that is worth like, oh, hey, you know, they're real cute and he makes me laugh. Let me tell you, you get a lot less cute over time and a lot less funny. So those things, if that's what you're basing on, like, please don't do it because you need somebody that works hard, loves God, and, and all the things. So, alright, let me just put these up here. I mean, when, when I reflect on what are the root causes of most of the marriage problems that I deal with, I mean, here's what it is. Number one, unresolved conflict. Um, you would be surprised, but I mean, there, there can be a pivotal moment in your life, whether it's the loss of a child or something, and, or there was some animosity in the relationship, and it, it never got handled. And the wife feels hurt and unloved and unappreciated. The husband, you know, feels disrespected or whatever. And it never really gets solved. And that festers and grows like an infection. And then their relationship gets worse and, and further distant. And you'll sit down and talk with somebody. It's like, why are you all mad at each other? You know, what's the problems in your marriage? Well, listen, in 1982, when this thing happened, he has always been this way. And... Like people's inability to work through problems. Um, that's, that's probably up there, number one. Number two, somewhat related, but, but not necessarily poor communication. Always surprised at how people will, in a relationship, like never talk about how they feel. And you want to have problems. Here's, here's the way they work a lot of times. And, and some women are like this, not every woman's like this. You will bottle up how you feel, and then five years later, you'll have some knockdown drag-out, and you're like, let me tell you, I've been thinking this for a hundred years, you know, you're like this, 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 and the guy's blown away because we've never talked about it, and we never talk about it, and then it comes to find out, like, I'm breaking up with you because of all these things, and, like, I've never had a chance to fix it, like, I don't know, and, like, horrific communication over the years, people just bottle up animosity, and let it out in a storm that you can't even help to fix. I mean, you can't do it. Because it's too much at the same time, and it seems insurmountable. Like, we need to deal with things as they happen every day, but people just never talk about how they feel, and so they just are mired in bitterness. And then third, I mean, it's just real life, whether pornography or whatever. I mean, infidelity, um, emotional uh, infidelity, however you want to describe some of those things. Just being too close to other people. Um, heartbreaking. Right? You you shouldn't... I mean, people in church know better. But this is just the reality of the landscape we live in. Um, people break their vows of their marriage. And whether or not you can come back from that, it's a tough road. The tough road for children. A tough road for families. And you would just be shocked at how many people are like, yeah, you know, 10 years ago I cheated on my wife. Or 20 years ago I cheated on my wife. And they're still just... You know, never back to normal. And when you look at these common causes of marriage problems, I mean, here, here's, the, here's the real reason. Um, we never really become the people that God wants us to be. Um, God, God wants us to be selfless people. Right? In a marriage relationship or in any relationship, I mean, we got to be like Jesus. And what did Jesus say? I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Right? That was the point of Jesus' life in Matthew chapter 20, I'm not here to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And if you have that approach in a relationship and you wake up every day and think, how can I take care of you? Probably not going to have problems. But if you wake up and think, hope she's ready to take care of me today. Why isn't my shirt ironed? And why, why don't I have dinner? And you know, the husband, why does he never follow through on the things he's supposed to do around here and all this stuff? If we're trying to live for ourselves in another relationship where somebody's living for themselves, it's a disaster. But if you have people that understand their role as a help me, understand their role as a husband, that's that's supposed to to love their wife like Christ loved the church. Look, things are going to be good, but we never get past this. And so it ends up just being all about me. And it's almost impossible to fix a relationship where you want it to be all about you. You know, you sit down and you have some kind of marriage discussion with people, and all they want to talk about is, well, let me tell you what he's done this whole time. And she'll want to talk about that, and he'll want to talk about her problems. And people don't like counseling because they just end up arguing with each other. But the reality is we need to take accountability for ourselves and our actions. Generally, the rest of things follow. But if you just want to sit there and point fingers about what somebody else could do better, I mean, we're living in selfishness and no relationship can survive long term with the happiness and joy God wants us to. So for the rest of our time this morning, um, and Greg said, they got a bell now that'll just cut me off whenever, whenever it's time. So I got four or five slides, I think, to cover about some things I've learned while I was preaching. um, and, And I want you to have the happiest relationship you can. I mean, there's no greater joy than having just peace in your home and your relationship, and the world can just tear at you. But man, if things at home are good, I mean, that's what God intended, is for this family unit to be um, such a special part of our life here. Um, and we don't always have that. So if you've got your Bibles, let's jump in. I want to read a passage from 1 Samuel 25. And you probably remember the story of David and Abigail and her great relationship with a man named Nabal. And I just want to read several verses from here just to give you a sense of what a bad relationship is and what a lot of relationships look like. There was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and I'm in verse 2 of 1 Samuel 25. And the man was very rich. Now let's just stop and think about those words for a minute. Like, that's one of the keys to a good relationship, right? I mean, this guy is very rich. This is going to be a happy story. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. And when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. Thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace to your house, peace to all that you have. Now I've heard that you have shearers, and your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them All the while they were in Carmel. Ask the young men, they'll tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. So, when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away, each one from his own master. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat, which I've killed for my shears, and give it to men who I do not know where they're from? So David's young men turned on their heels and went back, and they came and told all these words to him. And David said to his men, every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword. And David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything, as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us, both by night and day, at the time we were with them keeping the sheep. Now therefore... Know and consider what you will do. For harm is determined against our master and against all his household. For he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. Now the rest of the text uh, demonstrates Abigail's good attitude, wisdom, character of going and kind of preventing the slaughter of her household because David was pretty hot about it. And it's not that David necessarily... uh, was going down a good path, would think I'm going to kill these guys because they didn't give me anything to eat. But David appreciated Abigail and she ends up being his wife. But when you think about this relationship, it shows to me a big problem that many marriages have. All right, there is very little working together between a lot of couples. When I say working together, right, it's it's very typical you know the husband's going to go do his thing and he's going to make decisions on his own and he's the head of the household and there's no communication with his wife and his wife may have i don't know life saving ideas but you know he didn't consult her at all he didn't have any thought to say you know i'm going to i'm going to really sit down and listen to my wife and notice what it said the kind of man he was like it was so well known at this point he's not going to ask your opinion but you're not going to have a good dialogue with this man either. Like, so what did Abigail end up doing? Well, she just had to go do her own thing. You know, she's like, well, I mean, he's probably not going to like it, but I'm just going to go out here and I'm, I'm going to set things up how I think we need to do it. And there might be some wisdom in here. But look, this type of relationship where you're together, but you're not like living in God's reality of complimenting each other and being a helpmeet and helping... Look, it's so sad. I remember growing up at a church, and I remember there was a couple. They're very old. um, They lived, I say very old. They're they're less old than I remember now that I think about how old they were. Um, They lived about a mile away, and they would drive separate to church every morning. I always thought that was strange, right? You know, like, you know, but I get it. Anna likes to be late. I like to be early. Like, it occasionally crosses my mind. Like, I'm just going to leave you. But Anna, Anna really wants us to ride together. she ride together. I remember going over to his house one day. And they didn't sleep in the same bedroom. She had a room in one part of the house. He had a room in another part of the house. I thought, okay, that's like super weird, I think. Uh, maybe there's a good reason for that. I don't know. And then I remember looking back and seeing them at church. They wouldn't even sit together. He would sit one place. It was like Greg sitting there. And it would be like Cindy sitting over there. Just totally normal. You know, we don't even sit together. When I got to know them better, they didn't really have a relationship at all. They were married. But whatever decisions had happened in the past had driven such a wedge between them that there was no joy, no love, no happiness. They were just married. And for many of us, like looking at our relationships, I mean, is that what we're showing our kids marriage is all about? Where the guy has his own set of hobbies and friends and he does his own thing and the girls have have hurt their own friends and they really are living separate lives and every once in a while we might have a conversation? Or can we function together where, you know, we're all, you know, like bettering ourselves because Anna's got a better idea than I've got and she's got some wisdom and compassion that I might not have in my heart and maybe I've got something Anna's not thinking of and we talk about it. That was hard for me to learn. Because Anna would like make me talk about things. And we would always talk about things. And she would analyze and analyze and we need to talk about it. But when we get on the same page as a family, like you can do great things. But let me tell you how this plays out, right? The, the mom doesn't like what her daughter's wearing. And, you know, the dad kind of defends it, which is weird. I've seen it happen. You know, there's, there's no consistent direction in the home about what is right and what is wrong. Like there's no communication, there's no togetherness. Like they're they're separate people. And as such, people's idea of marriage is like, well, I'm going to pick the best parent. Look, let me say, sometimes you may be married completely to a Nabal. I mean, you may be married to a guy, you're like, I would love to have a close personal relationship, but there's nothing you can do. Like this guy is so stubborn, his heart isn't with you, his heart is not a follower of Jesus Christ, and... I've seen people operate in a relationship and still be godly people. But let me just tell you, the source of a lot of problems is people living together but alone. Let me leave you with one example on this slide. When you think about your hobbies, let me just tell you as you get married, like how you spend your time outside of just the normal work and etc. that you got to do. Like they're never going to be the same in general. Right, a guy's going to go hunting, and then the girl's not going to go hunting. And when you have a life of some kind of separation, where I'm spending all my time doing something different than my wife is doing, I've seen relationships just grow further and further apart. And one of the great things about Anna that she kind of forced on me is, whenever I would do something, she'd want to do it too. And so whenever I'd go play basketball, Anna's like, well, we're coming too. Well... That was kind of weird, but it's like, okay, you can come sit here if you want. Well, she'd want to come sit here. I'd go hunting and I want to go hunting. And I was like, well, you better not make any noise. And, you know, she'd some camo. I mean, as cute as it could be. And then she you know, but, but, you know, over time, I've come to appreciate how we are together as a family. And just over time, that helps you just be closer together. You're experiencing the same things. You're talking about the same things. We're not living separate lives. We're not off making our own decisions and making bad decisions and our wife having to come behind and clean up our mess. Nobody wants to live in this relationship. And God rescued this woman out of this relationship. But if we can work together where it's like, go ask Stephen what he wants to do, he, he'll listen to you. And when Anna feels approachable because we can come talk about things, like then we can have a relationship where our kids are seeing, hey, this is how it's supposed to work. Like we need to be together together. In our relationship now secondly and this is kind of related i want you to turn back to genesis 29 and i want you to appreciate how difficult it is to have a good marriage when you have divided affections when you have divided affections here's what i mean by that like in genesis 29 you remember the story of leah and rachel and a lot of times we think of the story i don't know why maybe because it's presented this way from jacob's perspective Like from Jacob's perspective, how does the story kind of play out? Oh man, this poor guy was tricked. Could you imagine? Thought I was going to marry this girl and end up getting married to her sister? The uglier sister? Like what a horrible trick to play on Jacob. And we're mad at Laban and we kind of feel sorry for Jacob. But do you ever think about it from Leah's perspective? I mean, poor Leah is kind of thrust into this situation. And next thing you know... Well, she's married. And who is she married to? Well, she's married to a guy who basically, and I mean, it's true because the Holy Spirit reveals it to us, who acknowledges that her sister is prettier than she is. You know, her eyes were delicate. Rachel, in verse 17, beautiful in form in appearance. And Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, for your younger daughter, I mean, when you think about that situation, Leah knew. Like, here's a guy that wants to to work for this love and affection, and she ends up getting married to him. And so guess what happens after she gets married to him? And then he goes on and agrees to another seven years to be married to Rachel. Do you think that Leah thinks this is the best thing that's ever happened to me? No. I mean, the Scripture tells us, verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Could you imagine being in that home? Could you imagine seeing Jacob fawning over Rachel? Could you imagine the intimacy or the love or the laughter and all these things happening in the other room and you're just over here like I mean this this is miserable. God saw it, she felt it, and it goes on to say, you know, Leah conceived and born a son for the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. She's hoping that a kid is going to remedy some of this lack of love in her home. But I mean, this is brutal for this woman to live in a home where a man is in love with something else. And and here's the relevance to us here, okay? We may not have multiple wives, but we definitely have multiple loves. Now as guys, I mean, what, what things do you love? You know, where where does your affection lie? You know, it could be a number of things. You know, there are a lot of guys that like doing projects. And I've seen this cause problems in a marriage. I mean, it's just kind of wild because you think, I would love it if my husband did a project or two around the house. But when a husband works all day and he comes home, he's like, hey, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a shed in the backyard. Right? You just call me when it's dinner time. Well, after a solid 10 years of things like that, you know, there's... A problem in the home. The wife is sitting there being like, you know what? You don't really love me. You know, when you used to spend time with me, when we were dating or we were early married, like they feel loved. But over time, when we show no attention, no affection, we got our own sets of priorities and they really don't revolve around our spouse. How do you think they're going to feel? Unloved. And I sit them down in counseling and we talk about it. And he's like, listen, she don't ever respect me. I've been working hard for her for all these years. And guess what her response was? I don't care about any of this stuff. I don't care about a project. I don't care about a barn. I don't care about any of this. I just want to spend time with you. And I mean, there, there was there was no affection because she could see what motivated him, what he was most proud of, what he cared about, and none of it revolved around her. And, and listen, if you... Are telling yourself here, "Hey, I know my spouse knows I love them because of X." If it's not what your spouse needs, and I'm not going to get off on the Love Languages book, but you're just wasting your time. Like Anna does not care one bit if I come home and say I bought you a new car. She doesn't care. It doesn't show affection or love for her. What she cares about is me rubbing her back when it hurts. That's it. Right, And let me tell you, when she asked for that, when I am moments from sleep. like I'm like, babe, we had all day to have this conversation. And you want me to rub your back right now? But let me tell you, that shows that I love her. right? That shows I love her. And when you, when you do things like that, and you understand your wife, then you can proactively do that and say, hey, can I rub your back before I go to sleep? And she says things like, you've never been more attracted to me than right now. I mean, this this is life, right? When you know your wife, man, you can kick it on all cylinders. When you don't know your wife, you'll think like, hey, baby, I got you a home and you got three sons. Like, is this good enough? No. I just want you to love me. And I, I say all those things because your wife is going to be totally different. I can't write a marriage book that may help you, but I can write my own marriage book to know my spouse. And you ought to be able to do the same and know exactly what your wife needs and dwell with her as God demands in an understanding way. Third and finally, and this is a symptom. And I say finally, but it was finally this slide. When you, when you look at the loss of physical affection in a marriage, um, we are, we are on dangerous ground. Because what typically happens is, like when we don't show them the kindness in general and they don't feel loved, then a woman can respond... Uh, with a lack of intimacy in the marriage relationship. And I'm not going down any, any appropriate path here. You can go read 1 Corinthians 7 and God wants us to talk about it in some way. But in general, I will say this. If you disregard physicality in a relationship, you are on tenuous ground. Because that needs to be a part of a wholesome, godly relationship. And if those things aren't happening, somebody else is setting themselves up for failure. Like Satan's like, oh yeah, I can totally destroy this relationship. Let me insert someone here that can show physical affection to a wife or to a husband. And I've counseled people that are like, yeah, we we haven't had any kind of physical relationship in 30 years. Alright, well we got some things to work on. right? And those can typically be a symptom of just a lack of love in general. And... I'm just going to tell you, this needs to be addressed. You want to talk about awkward conversations? Point number three. But it needs to happen. Right? There is some situation that has happened. There is some reason. There is some problem. But you can't go through your life um, just living this way. And there are many relationships that are broken behind the scenes because there's no love, there's no affection. And generally it's because she feels like I'm in love with something else. Other than her, like give your wife the attention they deserve. Wives love your husbands as well, uh, like you're supposed to be taught in Titus two, and the relationship will be good. When you love your husband like God wants you to, he'll respond in kind. When you love your wife, she'll respond in kind, and I've seen it happen. All right, point number three. Clock's getting away from us. Um, another big problem that I see in relationships too is a lack of a lack of kindness and a lack of respect just in general in the way we deal with each other and the way we talk about things. Um, in general, in, in Genesis chapter 18, I love the story here of you know really one of the model relationships, which is the relationship between Abraham and Sarah. And in, in chapter 18 and verse 1, "...the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day." And he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. And said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass by on your way. Please let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. And I'll bring you a morsel of bread, that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by, inasmuch as you have come to your servant. And they said, Do what you have said. And Abraham hurried into the tent and to Sarah and said, Quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he'd prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree, and they ate. Listen, you want to talk about uh, kind of a litmus test of how somebody's relationship is Let this same scenario play out. And I've seen it go a bunch of different ways. What would happen if you had surprise company and your husband turns to you and says, hey, we got some visitors. Why don't you make uh, a roast and potatoes and carrots like you normally make? And just wait for the response. Right? I've seen women are like, why don't you get in there and make it? This is your idea. You should go make these things. Um... And when you've got a good relationship, here's what kind of happens. The text just assumes that Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Right? Sarah's just respectful, responsive. Like Sarah's going Sarah's gonna to do what needs to be done. And then Abraham's going to do his part, and he's going to go prepare and, and help too. right? You've got a family kind of working together to a common goal, and like you, you can live like that. But too often I see people belie the way they feel about the person that they're in a relationship with solely because of the way that they speak to one another. Often husbands and wives do not speak kindly to each other. And that is such a sad thing. I remember growing up a guy, um, you know, sitting in the auditorium. I mean, stand back there and guys do that. And I remember, I remember a guy referring to his wife as, yeah, the old battle axe, you know. I still don't know what that means, but he would do it. And I guess, you know, when you're a boy, like an ax is like a good thing, but looking back, it's like, I don't think that's a, that's a good thing. And you know, when, when you talk about your wife in that way, you know, when there are these snide comments and these undermining things and, and there's just this, this anger and this frustration that's just below the surface and maybe we're not being completely belligerent, but there's obviously some animosity, like, that kind of stuff is not a Christian thing. Like, we need to speak with grace so that it can bring benefit to those that hear us. I mean, we don't need to, you know, undermine our wife and undermine our husband and show we really don't appreciate them or respect them and love them. You know, when you have these arguments and and discord, let me tell you what ends up happening. Most couples, after not being able to speak kindly to each other and argue over time, this this is reality in our church. The husband will spend the majority of his time in the man cave and the wife is upstairs and there's just distance between them. Let me tell you where the distance comes from. Speaking unkind words to each other. And this is what I often do in marriage counseling. I'm like, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to solve this overnight. But for the next week, I don't want you to say a negative thing to your wife or husband. Let me tell you how hard that is for people. They don't know how to communicate without sarcasm, With with, uh, all this kind of stuff, like, that just degrades people. But man, when when you lift your wife up and say, Hey, I appreciate what you did today. I noticed what you did. I saw that and I value that. I mean, her children rise up and call her blessed. Like, when you live in that environment, man, you will feel like a million dollars. Like, you will go to war for your home and your family. But when a man's enemies are of his own household... And here I saddled you in this lifelong relationship where I promised to love you in front of a bunch of people and then behind the scenes I treat you like trash? I see it in marriages. And we got to get to the root of it, right? Why are you talking that way to the person you're supposed to love the most? Why do you yell at them to do things? Why are you mad at them? Are you constantly complaining? Like this thing, this ought not to happen. And all you're doing is teaching your children, this is exactly what marriage looks like. And it should be no surprise that your kids grow up and think, I don't know if I want to get married. Things seem pretty miserable. Well, yeah, because we act like it's miserable. Lack of kindness and respect. And last thing, I know we got five minutes. Um, this is just a killer in these relationships. Half-hearted forgiveness. Let me just go ahead and put these things up on the board. You, you remember, and we won't take the time to read about Saul's relationship with David. But what you may not remember is how often... David would have a confrontation with Saul. David would say good things. Like you remember, David's like, hey, look, here's a corner of your robe. I could have killed you. So I'm really not trying to kill you. Like, we're, we're okay here. And Saul's like, you're a better man than me. I, you, I am a worthless person. David, you're great. And then what happens in the next chapter? I think I'm going to go kill David again. And then he would go and they'd have a conversation again. It's like, same conversation. Like, yeah, the Lord's going to bless you and he's not going to bless me um we're you're a better man than i am do you think david really had a good relationship with saul no because saul never really forgave him let me assure you of one thing point number 1 it is almost certain that strife will come into a marriage here's why some days i'm going to be tired some days i'm going to be hungry some days i'm going to sin like i just it has happened and if any man says They have no sin. They're a liar and the truth isn't in them. This should not be a daily occurrence. This should not be me. But even Ann will be like, don't take the decongestant because it turns you into a monster. Um, You know, sometimes I'm just not, not who I need to be. And when that happens, how we deal with things is just going to be pivotal about how we move forward from things. There was a relationship that I counseled where the woman had infidelity with her husband. And you might always think it's the reverse, but this was, not, this was not. Like the woman cheated on her husband, and in this particular relationship, she was dying for his forgiveness. He agreed to forgive her. He was like, you know, we'll take you back, we'll still be married. But let me tell you, years and years later, he could not move past it. Whenever we'd have counseling, that's all he wanted to talk about. You know, it was like there was nothing she could do in order to undo the horrific you know, situation that she put herself in. And she's trying to go to church. She's taking care of her family. She's doing all the right things. And all she wants is for the relationship to be better. And it will not get better. And here's why it won't get better. Not because of what she's done, but because what her husband won't let go of. It's not like I'm counseling... You know, like, hey, listen, uh, you need to stop running around on him. Seriously, this is a big problem. Like, she's long since, you know, apologized, long since repented, long since gotten God's forgiveness. And is in tears here asking her husband, you know, can we please move on now? And he will not. And there are some people, again, God gives us an out for sexual uh, infidelity. And if you can't forgive in that relationship, then you shouldn't continue in the marriage. But some people, whether it's this or less than that, just will never let people let things go. And I'm sorry your husband was a total immature jerk 30 years ago. You know, I'm sorry that your wife did this and she's been mean. But when you're staring someone in the face who has come before the family of God and asked for forgiveness, you only have one option here. You've got to forgive them. And if we can't let go of the wrongs that are done with us and you're carrying this burden the rest of your life, like, it's just not going to happen. And so I'll leave you with this. Like, remember God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness of me. How God has promised to separate my sins as far as the east from the west. Like, God's, God's going to let my stuff go and I need God to let my stuff go. But we've got to let the stuff go that happens in our marriage too. Look, I don't want this to be depressing. I'm not going to end on anything depressing. I want to end on something positive. All this stuff can be fixed if you do things God's way. If we love each other how God wants us to love, there can be happy endings to these things. But if you're in a bad relationship, let's work on it. Like, don't let it go. Don't sit there for the next 30 years. Take care of things, and then we'll, uh, we'll be better.